Hey everyone, Pastor Brandon here, and welcome to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by reaching and enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the sermon today. Mary, Mother of Jesus, but called the Mother of God? Mary is one of the most recognizable figures in all of human history. We find her in the art in many cultures on Earth. Some call her the first Christian. Others call her the New Testament tabernacle. God calls her blessed above all women. It seems like some venerate her, others worship her, and others want nothing to do with her. Is she a model or example for us? How should her life and walk with Jesus affect how we view Jesus? Why does she matter? How can her story help us better understand Christmas and beyond Christmas, encounter Jesus for the first time or meet him in a brand new way? How does her story help us become more fully devoted followers like she was? Good morning, Sanctus Church. We've come to the last Sunday and the last day of 2023. What a year it's been. So much has happened in our world. You know, we've tried to reorient and readjust to a post-COVID lockdown world while still navigating the reality of COVID still with us. And we're trying to figure out the stability of our economy. We've witnessed the tragedy of multiple wars occurring and so many other challenges. And through all of life's uncertainties and fears and problems, some of us may wonder if God is trustworthy. Can I depend on God? Can I trust God with my life? And we at times may struggle with doubt and questions if God still loves us and God cares for us and will He provide for us. But when we turn to the scripture, we realize and understand that God's gifts are generous. His care is constant. And yes, He is trustworthy. But let me ask you a different question, a question that reorients our focus. The question is, can God trust you? Can God trust me? The answer now becomes a lot more difficult. Can God trust you when you are under attack? Can God trust you when all hell is breaking loose around you? Can God trust you when you're prospering and doing well? Can He trust you when you're confronted with physical illness or a life-threatening circumstance? The question we should ask ourselves this morning is, can God trust me? Now, trust is dependability, a deep confidence in someone. We tend to trust people who are reliable, who are consistent, who don't change in the season or the direction of the wind. Ever think that maybe God is looking for people that he can trust? Now, there are two major trust killers. First, losing faith in God the minute circumstances don't go our way. When reality doesn't line up with our expectation, we may tend to distrust or doubt God. Second, when we put ourselves at the center of our relationship with God, rather than God being at the center. In other words, we may live with this mindset. What can God do for me rather than what can I do for God? So when it comes to trust, we should always place our confidence and our reliance on God. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, God is too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken. And when I trace his hand, I can always trust God his heart. Now we're coming to the end of our Mary series and I hope you have learned a lot, 
been challenged a lot by the beautiful life of Mary. And personally, Mary is one of the biblical characters that I admire the most. As a young woman, she exemplified grace and strength and character. But what do we actually know about her? Now, history and archaeology, coupled with data found in the New Testament and some of the early church uh, writings of church history, provide this account that I, I recently read. It says, Mary was a peasant girl, like most women of her ethnicity and time, and she stood about five feet or less. Her hair would have been dark brown and, or black, and she would have had it kept it oiled uh, and parted in the center and painted in the center with a little red or purple, as was the custom. Her complexion would have been quite tan, uh, akin to many of the Middle Eastern women of the time. She would have worn some uh, golden jewelry, most dazzling that this, her poor family could afford because it was also her dowry. She would have worn linen or homespun clothing, loose fitting and soft colors such as faded pink, bluish gray, cream or light brown. It would have carried a beautiful embroidery, probably done by her own hand. She would have worn a, a cloth belt. Her shoes would have depended on the weather. It would have been uh, you know, high ankle boots in the cold weather and maybe sandals and warm. She spoke Aramaic with a Galilean accent, which would have been a sign to the upper class that she was actually uneducated. She would have memorized rather than read from the Torah because women didn't study the Torah. They relied on men to explain the law to them. Mary would have lived in a small town with at least eight to ten relatives in the home, with both men and women working together respectively. She would have worked both in the home and outside of the home along other women. She would have worked in the orchards and vineyards and olive groves and crops. Her entire family would have been involved in uh, the arranged marriage to Joseph. Her parents, according to church tradition, their names were Joachim and Anne, and living in Nazareth, which probably was around 400 people, meant that Joseph likely was either very distant re, uh, related or was known uh, through the community. And he would have likely been near her age uh, to provide for her. He knew the Torah and was from a respectable family. But what was it about Mary that God would choose her? I'd like to read from uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38, the account of Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered the manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the power of the Highest will overshadow you. And therefore that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, who has also conceived a son in her old age. This is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So why was she chosen? The text says God found favor in her. But why? Luke describes in Luke chapter 2, verse 27 to 35 of an instance where an old man named Simeon, who was in the temple, 
longed to wait to see God's salvation for Israel. And he was told by the Spirit that he would not die until he met God's Messiah. And so in the temple, when Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus, he took him in his arms and blessed him. And he said this to Mary in verse 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and that the thoughts of many shall be revealed. So why did God choose Mary? Yes, it was his favor or grace that was unmerited upon her. And Mary didn't earn God's favor, but God's favor also rested upon her because of her allegiance and loyalty to him. You see, this favor or grace was not about salvation, but assignment. God's calling was to fulfill a very specific purpose for the grand plan of humanity and creation. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. You see, God's eyes and intentions are scanning the earth, looking for those who will be loyal, devoted, committed, trustworthy. And he desires to support them and strengthen them and use them for his purposes. And so I believe God chose Mary for this assignment because he knew he could trust her. Not just with good times, not just with blessing or prosperity. He knew he could trust her with pain, with trouble, with rejection and disappointment. As Simeon said, throughout Mary's life, her heart would be pierced over and over and over again. She was about to embark on a journey into the very purpose of her life, and it would cost her everything. You see, God doesn't ask us, can I trust you for a day or for an event? Rather, he asks us, can I trust you through the stages and ages and remain faithful at the end of your life as you were in the beginning? You see, can God trust you? Can you be counted on to deliver even when your heart is pierced in the process? Whenever God does something we don't understand, our natural tendency is to back up, to run away, to say no. But the truth of the matter is that the trials of life are designed to test our staying power, to test our resiliency, to test our perseverance, our fortitude, our ability to stay and not run away. Can you stand and stay with God even when you do not know or understand what God is doing in your life? You see, Mary went through many different types of piercings that might have shaken or moved any one of us. But in them all, Mary proved that God's trust in her had not been misplaced. You and I too will endure suffering and many piercings. And if we're serious about treasuring Jesus in our lives and reflecting him to our world, then we will live lives being trustworthy people. We can learn from Mary's example. And so this morning, I'd like to break this down regarding the question, can God trust you? And it falls into three realms. First, can God trust you through pain? Can God, second, can God trust you with provision and prosperity? And the third is, can God trust you with prediction? Let's break this down. The first is, can God trust you with pain? Mary experienced three types of pain. She experienced the pain of misunderstanding and rejection. So can God trust you with misunderstanding and rejection? Now, not even Joseph understood at first what was happening. All he knew that he was engaged to a young girl carrying a baby that she said God gave her. Now, just imagine if you were engaged to a young person and your fiance came to you and said that they were pregnant. 
And then they said they'd never had any sex with anyone and that God spoke to them that they would miraculously conceive a child in them. Joseph was probably very angry and very confused and probably thought Mary was lying. Now imagine being in the middle of wedding planning and now planning for a divorce. Imagine if you were Mary's parents. Parents, if you're a parent of a daughter today and your daughter came to you and said that she was pregnant through a divine conception, how would you react? How would you as a parent respond? You'd be thinking, no way, <laughs> you're, you're lying. There's, it, it wouldn't be conceivable. Now just imagine the misunderstanding and rejection that Mary had to face from her family, her friends, her community. Imagine the initial fear that she had to go and tell her parents and tell Joseph and tell those she would encounter. You see, you can have favor, but that doesn't mean you won't have fear. You can have all the favor in the world, but you'll also have frustration. Mary still faced the whispers and the comments of people around her, even 30 years later during the ministry of Jesus. People still remembered and questioned his birth and saying, was Jesus born legitimately? Do you and I treasure Jesus and love him enough to endure misunderstanding, to endure rejection from people very close to you? Are you committed to serving Jesus even when you're misunderstood? Or when the pressure gets difficult or hot we, and we're mocked and we're humiliated, would we distance ourselves from Jesus? The second is, can he trust you through loss? Whatever became of Joseph, Jesus' adopted father, after briefly appearing in a descriptive uh, incident uh, when Jesus was a youth at the temple, basically Joseph disappears from the gospel records. Some have taken his absence as an indication that Joseph died sometime before Jesus' ministry began. But in any case, we, we kind of read uh, in the Gospels how Mary was essentially a widow by the end of Jesus' ministry. Al Golgotha, Mary watched her son hang from a wretched, rugged cross, watched everything that she labored for and fought for and built around her die, and yet she never turned her head away. She never walked away, even though her whole world was collapsing and falling apart. As Simeon said, you will be pierced many times. Can God trust you through trauma and death? The death of a dream, the death of something you've built your whole life around, the death of a spouse, the death of a child, the death of someone very dear to you. Can he trust you through losing a job or an opportunity or relationship? What do you do when things don't turn out the way you and I have thought it would? What do you do when living in God's will means the dissolving of the dreams and the shattering of our own hearts? Mary stood at the base of the cross and probably said like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now she could not have understood all what was happening in that moment. And so when God's purpose brings pain in our lives, can you and I be trusted to stand with God and say, God, you can still count on me. There's a beautiful song that's called, I'm Still Yours. And the words of the song says, if I lost it all, would my hands stay lifted to the God who gives and takes away? If you take it all, this life you've given, still my heart will sing to you. When my life is not what I expected, the plans I made had failed. When there's nothing left to steal me away, will you be enough for me? Will my broken heart sing? The third pain Mary experiences, can, and the question for us is, can he trust you through disappointment? Mary certainly faced a lot of disappointment. Disappointment from seeing uh, the disciples her son loved and cared for, desert him in the moment of pain, in the moment of his darkest 
time they left him. The disappointment from her fellow Jewish people that shouted, crucify, crucify. The religious leaders that she respected and looked up to, the rabbis and the priests, betray her own son. Disappointment in seeing her son do so many miracles for others, feed others, raise people from the dead, but yet see her own son die. See, after Jesus' death, Mary walked away from Golgotha, but she did not walk away from God. The story of a man in Dundee, Scotland, who was confined to his bed for 40 years after having broken his neck through a fall at the age of 15. But his spirit remained unbroken, and he had cheer and courage and inspired many people. And once there was a, a visitor that came to him wanting to know more about him and his life and how he was able to keep a posture of joy and, and, and happiness in his life. And the visitor came and asked him one day, doesn't Satan ever tempt you to doubt God or to walk away from God? And uh, the man replied, oh, yes, he does try to tempt me. And I lie here and I see my old classmates and friends driving their cars. And Satan whispers, if God is so good, why does he keep you like this all these years? Why did he permit your neck to be broken? The guest asked, what do you do then when Satan whispers those words to you? And the young man replied, ah, I take him to Calvary. I show him Christ. I point to the deep, wounded hands and feet, and I say, you see, he still loves me. And Satan has no answer, and he flees every time. So can God trust you through pain? The pain of misunderstanding and rejection, loss and disappointment. The second thing, can God trust you with provision? You see, God knew he could trust Mary with his greatest treasure, Jesus. Mary used her time, her talent, and her resources to care for Jesus. Are you and I willing to use our time and talent and resources to form Christ in us and live Christ out to the world? Look at time. Mary was given about 30 years with Jesus and dedicated her life to raising and nurturing him. And as a mother, she spent time feeding him, teaching him, training and caring for Jesus. How do we spend our time with Jesus? How do we spend our time for Jesus? Her talents, her spiritual gifts, her abilities. Mary was a young girl when she gave birth to Jesus, but yet God gave her the ability and the gifts to raise a son and, and through her spiritual gifts to nurture Jesus. Through the passages of Scripture, though they don't describe much about Jesus' childhood, he grew up like any other child. As a father myself, I could imagine what Joseph and Mary would have done for Jesus, responding to his cries at night when he needed to be fed, changing when he needed to be, when he pooed, teaching Jesus to walk or potty train. There were a lot of time that was needed and ability to invest to raise Jesus. Then the resources. Now, Mary and Joseph were not rich people. They were actually considered poor. According to Luke 2.24, Mary and Joseph offered two turtle doves as a sacrifice. And according to Old Testament law, the poor could offer two turtle doves instead of the primary sacrifice. So even with a limited amount of money, Mary provided for all the needs of Jesus. If we were in a similar situation with limited finances, would we still honor God through our giving? Do we value and treasure Jesus enough to give towards the growth of his kingdom? Now, there are people say, well, you know, if I, if I ever get a million dollars, I'll give it all to the church. No, they won't. Because if we can't give 10% now, you're probably not going to give 100% next year. You see, the whole issue is, am I trustworthy with what 
I have right now. So if God were to prosper you and give you above what you have, what would you do with it? Imagine if you were a million dollars was deposited right into your bank account tomorrow. Would you spend it all on yourself? Would you give some to God? Would you give some to the poor, those who are in need? Will you save it? Can God trust you with prosperity and provision? And finally, the third, can God trust you with prediction? Before Jesus' birth, God spoke to Mary about her future and the future of her child that she would conceive. In Luke 1, we read 30 to 33, the angel came and said to Mary, Mary, do not be afraid, for you're going to conceive and bring forth a son. His name is going to be Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest, and he will have the throne of his father David, and he will reign. And then in Luke 2, as we read in verse 35, 34 and 35, Simeon said to Mary that she would go through many piercings. A sword will pierce her through her own soul, and she, Jesus would be called for the rising and the fall of many in Israel. So from these words of prophecy, predicting the future of Jesus, Mary was entrusted with God's future plans. She knew her son would be great and called to have the throne of David and his kingdom would have no end. And Jesus would be the source of the rising and the fall of many in Israel. And on top of it, Mary would experience a piercing in her soul. Not only would her son be great, but she would also experience pain because of him. Now we all ask, God, can you reveal your will to us? But we have to ask ourselves, can God entrust us with his future plans for our life or for our family? Have you ever wondered why maybe God doesn't reveal it to us? Maybe we're not ready or maybe we're not trustworthy to handle it. If God said you were going to be the president, a king, a ruler, would that get to our heads and cause pride to derail our calling? Or if God said that you would go through a soul-piercing event, would you be scared to trust God and walk away because of the fear of what pain that we may have to endure? You see, we pray to God, God, show me your will. Show me your plan for my life. But God is asking us, can I trust you with prediction? And so this morning, can God trust you with pain? Can God trust you with provision and prosperity? And can God trust you with prediction? Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Many a person proclaim his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy person? Mary was called with an unbelievably challenging assignment, a role, a future, but she didn't panic. She didn't run away. And she didn't reject it. She humbly accepted it, trusted God, and worshipped. So what helped Mary become a trustworthy person? Why did Mary display a posture of humility and obedience and accept the immense calling to bring forth this holy child? I believe Mary was formed through the grace of God because she was a genuine worshiper of God. We read in Luke 1 verse, uh, in chapter 1, Mary was a worshiper and we know this because of her response to this great calling assignment and challenge for her life. She didn't murmur or complain, but her immediate response was an act of worship. It was intrinsic to who she was. You know, Pastor John exposited Mary's song a few weeks ago. And looking in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55, it says, Mary responded, Oh, my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And now all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to gener generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. 
He scattered the proud and haughty ones. He's brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he had made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. You see, I believe the eyes of the Lord were looking for someone to be a vessel who would carry the Son of God. And God saw this young girl who worshipped in adoration, in humility and love. And so this morning, I'd like to break down in understanding why God trusted Mary and how Mary developed this posture of humility. And so the question is, what is worship? Because Mary was clearly a worshipper of God. Now, worship is, there's two sides to the coin of worship. There's the inner essence of worship, and there's the external expression of worship. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. They worship me in vain. For Jesus, this type of worship is zero worship. Performing many external expressions of worship, doing many good works, without our movement of our heart towards God is not worship. All true worship, in essence, begins in the heart, but does not stop at the heart. So the question becomes, what is this inner, authentic, Godward experience of the heart that we call the essence of worship? Jesus pointed to this in John chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. He said, the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Notice that worshiping in spirit is contrasted with truth. So what does this mean? Right worship, good worship, pleasing worship depends on a right mental grasp of the way God really is, truth. See, if we have an incorrect mental understanding of God, it's going to affect our worship of God. For example, if you view God as an angry God, always looking to punish us for every mistake we make, it's going to be hard to, to worship him. So it's not only having now a right mental understanding of who God is, understanding His truth, His character, His his nature. Worship also depends on the right emotional or affectional heart grasp of God's supreme value. So true worship is based on a right understanding of God's nature and second, a right valuing of God's worth. To worship is to value God and to treasure God above all things. So the inner essence of worship is The mind is rightly understanding God. And second, the heart is rightly valuing God. Or you could use the words for worship like treasuring or prizing God, delighting in God, reverencing God, or being satisfied in God. Worship is designed to put the supreme worth of God on display. Let me say that again. Worship is designed to put the supreme worth of God on display. In fact, the English word worship comes from the word worth-ship. That is, worship is showing or displaying the worth of God. Once we grasp the true nature of God and the value of His worth, this becomes visible in the world in two basic ways. One is through the acts of our mouth, through acts of praise and repentance, through our singing and reading of Scripture, through the sharing of stories of God's goodness. Then the other is through the acts of love with the body the hands and the feet, the acts of love that show the supreme value of God by what He has been willing to sacrifice for us that we now sacrifice for the good of others. Hebrews 13 verse 15 to 16 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess His name, and 
Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. You see, those two verses begin and end with the word sacrifice. The sacrifice of praise, when there's times when you don't feel like praising God, you don't feel like serving, you don't feel like doing something for His glory because we're going through a lot of difficulty and pain. That is the time we praise and worship and respond like Mary. It is a sacrifice and it's going to cost us. It says, do not neglect to do good. Share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So both of those are acts of worship. Mary both sacrificially worshiped God in praise and she offered her body as a living sacrifice for the dwelling place of the incarnate God. So here's the summary. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to the knowledge of God by valuing and treasuring God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction of God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from our lips and demonstrable acts of love through our body in serving others for the sake of Christ. Because God is so amazing, we respond to now. Now here's this amazing promise for us. Because God's unimaginable generosity to us, in all of His glory, God chooses to respond to us through our worship. Now this is the promise that when we worship God with extravagant love and extreme submission, God will come and commune with us. That promise is not that we're going to feel all great after we worship Him or all of our problems are going to be instantly solved and fixed, but that God will come. God will come to commune with us and God comes to transform us. How many are grateful for that? Can you say amen? That God comes to us to transform us. Richard Foster says, if worship does not change us, it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of eternity is to change. Worship begins with holy expectancy and it ends in holy obedience. Communion re represents God's communication and presentation of Himself to us together with our proper response to Him with joy. I'd like to do a little demonstration to show, exemplify the attitude of, of worship. I have this glass of, of water here. Can I ask you, how heavy is this glass of water? Some of you may say, well, maybe 8 ounces, 12 ounces, 20 ounces. Actually, the absolute weight of this glass doesn't matter. It actually depends on how long I hold it. If I hold it for a minute, it's not a problem. If I hold it for an hour, I'm going to start to have an ache on my arm. But if I try to hold this for a day, my arm will start to feel numb and it'll become paralyzed. You see, in each case, the weight of the glass doesn't change. But the longer I hold the glass, the heavier it becomes. And that's what happens with the stresses and disappointments and, and pain and, and rejection and all the feelings that we carry in like this glass of water. We think about it for a while and nothing happens. Think about it for a bit longer and it begins to hurt. The more we ponder, the more we think about it, the longer days and weeks and months and years go by. When we think about what we're carrying, it paralyzes us and it makes us incapable of fulfilling the purpose of God in our lives. So it's important to learn to let go of the pain, anxiety, and fear, and worry, or anything else that's harmful for you. And so that response, which I want to encourage you today, is to put down the glass. To put down the glass. Putting down the glass is an act of surrender, an act of worship, that you rightly believe who God is, and you rightly value His worth and worship, and His ability and His power. Because when you know who God is and you believe that He's with you and that you're secure in Him, you can rest 
your life in his care and his protection, your worries, your burdens, can all the problems, you, you can surrender your life as a sacrifice. Maybe you're listening today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Well, in an act of worship, will you put your glass down? Stop trying to live your life on your own strength, trying to fix everything yourself, trying to save our own self. The longer you try to fix yourself or fix others or fix the world, the more frustrated, upset, and angry we'll become. Surrender and put down the glass. Worship is that posture of heart, the vehicle in which God has given us to surrender. To surrender. Find rest in the knowledge and knowing the express value and worth of God. Say, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to surrender in an act of worship. And so in this coming year, as we've come to the last day of 2023 and entering 2024, Sanctus Church, can we be a group of worshipers? A church that trusts God. A church that worships God, both in service, in our private time, in, in, when we gather in our connect groups, when we demonstrate through acts of service and love to our community, through being on mission. Can we be worshipers of God? People who display the value and worth of God to this world. So those three words, just to remember, understand in our mind God's nature and value God with our hearts and express our worship in our bodies through his value and worth. And like Mary, let's emulate a life of worship and be a person whom God can trust. You know, I'd like to end with a, a personal story of my own life and how worship was very pivotal in one of the most difficult and challenging seasons in my life. In 2016, I was diagnosed with uh, extremely large nodules in my thyroid. And so at the time, I had a few biopsies to check if it was cancerous, and at the time, it was negative. But according to medical guidelines, because of its size of the nodules, I had to have, it, have my thyroid completely removed. However, one of the possible complications of the surgery would be the loss of my voice or damage to my vocal cords. Now, as a pastor, my voice is my primary way in which I do my job. And so I was uh, very nervous to undergo this, this surgery. So I actually delayed. Every year I'd wait and wait and wait. And so finally in 2020, I heard about a pastor who suddenly got cancer. And, and uh, within a short few months, he passed away. And suddenly I uh, had concern about my own health. And then I was prompted to not delay any longer and to have surgery. Now, in my heart, uh, I was nervous and uncertain about what could happen, the results. And, you know, me being married to a doctor doesn't help either because I hear about all the complications and mistakes that occurs during uh, surgery. And so I was also concerned with the loss of my voice, both for my livelihood, but more so for my kids, that they would grow up maybe never hearing my voice again and as a dad. And so I, I wrote in my journal and even just recently reflecting and reading back what I wrote in my journal about that time and that period, the fears and the anxieties. The day before the surgery, there was a tide of emotions that I had. Um, and so I had a time of worship just to worship God and surrender and trust Him and putting all of my concerns that I, I just valued and adored God for who He is and what He can do in my life and valued and esteemed Him. And so the surgery date was set for June of 2020. And it was at the peak of the pandemic or at the beginning of it. And so there were a lot of restric restrictions it's just my, none of my family could be there uh, in the hospital before the surgery, during the surgery, or after the surgery. It was such a weird and lonely experience. But I'm thankful for the presence and the peace of God because of worship being a lifestyle, but also a vehicle and a weapon in which we use and express during the darkest moments and the challenging moments of my life. 
And I'm thankful, as you probably noticed, that the surgery was successful. And I can speak today. And though I have to take uh, thyroid medications for the rest of my life, I'm thankful for the grace of God that I experienced in that very dark and difficult moment of my own life. And experienced that through having a posture of worship, of esteem, value, and adoration of who God is. I'm also thankful for his protection and intervention and the timing because after the surgery, when they did a biopsy, they actually found a small trace of cancer. So I'm thankful that I didn't prolong having the surgery even more because that cancer could have grown and could have had a different effect in my life. Thankful for that prompting of God and the timing of God. I'm grateful for a God who's with us and protects us and guides us and, and blesses us and orders our steps. It's in those moments of worship where we take time to rightly understand who God is, our Father, our friend, a person who's with us, and when we attribute that value and that praise and that worship to Him, then we can respond through physically through our words of repentance, words of praise, words of sharing the goodness, the stories, the work of God through our lives, and respond in obedience and trust in serving God, in serving others, giving of our time, of our talents and treasures of our lives in service of Him. And so as we come to the end of this sermon and this, and this new year, at this end of this year, some of us may like to make New Year's resolutions and I'd like to challenge us with the resolution of praying and asking God, God, help me in this coming year to be a worshiper. That God, you would make us as sanctus, a group of people who worship you in spirit and in truth, rightly understanding who you are, rightly valuing with our heart who you are and expressing that through our lives, in our bodies and in our words, in our life. You see, this is the challenge that God has for us, the challenge to respond through an act of worship. I'd like to uh, close this morning with a prayer and would you join with me in saying uh, this prayer that's available on the screen. Let's pray this prayer together. Gracious God, you are the source of all goodness, rich in mercy and abounding in love. You are worthy of our worship and adoration. We welcome your presence into our lives and community. We pray for your grace to live as true worshipers in spirit and in truth. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctuschurch.com. There you can find ways to support the ministry and the Lord's vision for our church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, please hit that follow button to be notified when another episode releases. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.